Welcome to Aston Means Business. I am Steve Dyson, the journalist presenting this regular podcast for Aston Business School. It's subtitled SMEs Building Resilience to COVID-19 Challenges. We're interviewing small business leaders who are taking part or who've recently taken part in Aston Centre for Growth's programmes. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Sarah Beattie, the owner and operator of the FunFest franchise chain of children's holiday clubs, who also owns her own day nursery. You might remember that Aston Means Business first spoke to Sarah back in March 2020, at the very start of the initial COVID-19 lockdown, when the pandemic had literally frozen all of her business activity. Ten months later, we thought it would be useful to find out what has happened to Sarah's businesses since then. Joining me to discuss Sarah's story is Martin Potts, a senior lecturer in the accounting department here at Aston Business School. Martin qualified as an accountant with KPMG and spent more than 20 years in practice as an accountant before joining Aston. Hello to you, Martin. Steve, hi, and uh, thank you. And yes, I'm uh, really looking forward to uh, discussing the case later on with you. Thanks for agreeing to take part in this podcast, Martin. We'll have a good chat once we've listened to my interview with Sarah. And listeners should be aware that this took place just before the current lockdown. Hello to you, Sarah. Morning, Steve. Sarah, when we spoke last March, you explained how COVID-19 meant all your FunFest franchise clubs and your own daycare at St Martin's Children's Nursery had been temporarily closed. Your staff were furloughed, your expansion plans were put on hold, and you were having to use company reserves and even considering government-backed loans to survive the pandemic. Ten months later, I'm keen to find out what happened. Let's start with the FunFest Children's Holiday Club franchises. Did they survive? We opened about 20 of our 24 clubs, so I was really, really happy with that. Whilst our clubs did survive, I'm not going to pretend it was easy. Um, It took a lot of hard work. I have an amazing team in head office and we had the mindset that we were going to open. um, And from day one, we prepared to open. So uh, we needed to act early to support our franchisees. I'm really conscious of the fact that they've invested a lot of money into their businesses. And it's my job as the franchisor um, to protect their businesses and to help them get through this situation. So we put a lot of um, changes in place to our operating model. Uh, We taught the franchisees how to um, operate small bubble systems, We put training plans into place along with new policies and procedures. Um, We made sure that the staff were wearing masks in the clubs. We put lots of safety measures in place and did a big communication piece um, for our customers. We put videos onto our website along with policies and procedures about how we were going to operate safely uh, to give parents the confidence that their children would be safe, um, as safe as we possibly could make our clubs. So... um, Parents did actually send their children in droves. Uh, I think they were delighted that our clubs were open and their children were able to socialise again. They'd obviously come from a lockdown situation where many of them had had um, six or eight weeks of their children just being at home with them continuously. And parents were really grateful that we were able to open. Uh, So some of our clubs have done exceptionally well, um, but some of our clubs unfortunately haven't been able to open. So it's been a bit of a mixed bag. It sounds like a good outcome, Sarah, and you managed all this while at the same time keeping everyone safe. 
Well, we, we actually got through um, the whole of 2020 with only one case of coronavirus in one of our clubs. And it was actually the penultimate day before we, we kind of closed for the year. So in total, we actually were working out yesterday. We've had 575 days of childcare uh, with our clubs being open since the coronavirus. So I think with only one case, we actually managed to weather the storm pretty well. Um, it's it's more of the same at the moment. We're just uh, continuing to open the clubs with um, all the safety measures in place, operating in small bubbles. You know, the margins are really squeezed at the moment, Steve. It's, it's not about um, making profit. It's more about keeping the clubs open, having that consistent service, um, giving parents confidence in what we're able to deliver. And, and becoming that sort of trusted brand so that when we get through this um, this situation, uh, parents will hopefully, you know, come back to us in their droves. So, um, yeah, more of the same. Uh, but hopefully by, by about the summer, we'd like to think that we could um, get back to our normal operating procedures and increase the numbers of children in the clubs. Sarah, have you had any government assistance in recovery? And what's the future now looking like for FunFest clubs? Yes, I mean, we have had government assistance. I was able to uh, furlough some staff from head office. I think the furlough scheme has actually been a complete lifesaver for, for many businesses, most businesses, I would say. Um, in terms of what the future looks like now, I would like to think that uh, we can get all the clubs back to operating um, fully and, you know, with, with greater numbers as soon as the uh, coronavirus is sort of burden has been eased and the, the vaccine's been rolled out. Um, we have actually managed to uh, get some new franchisees on board during 2020 and our clubs will be opening um, this year. So, you know, we have actually managed to still grow the business, um, but we haven't had the marketing spend. We had to strip back all our costs and all our non-essential expenditure. So I like to think that that will all start to come back this year. We have a growth plan in place. Our marketing spend will be turned on again. We also managed to get the civil loan um, when it was first launched. I found the process really easy, actually. It was exceptionally easy to apply for. And um, that's been really, really helpful because you know, we, we had some considerable spending commitments. We're in the middle of moving to a new web platform this year, which is an incredibly expensive operation for us. And the civil loan enabled us to continue with that. So it really has propped our business up. Uh, we we're really, really grateful for that. And, and just for listeners who might not know what Sybil is, it's the Coronavirus Business Interruption Loan Scheme. Um, Sarah, what about your daycare at St Martin's Nursery in Solihull? How did that survive the COVID-19 pandemic? We had to close completely um, when the government announced those closures at the end of March. And that was actually a really um, a real shock to the system. I have to say it was it's quite an emotional um, situation as well, having run that business for 14, 15 years and never had to have any period of closure. Um, and, you know, my, my priority was trying to protect the staff. We've got um, nearly 30 staff in the business. So uh, we did close um, and we managed to get reopened again after five weeks for key worker children. So we had a small number of key worker children back in um, and we then reopened fully from the 1st of June when the government allowed us to reopen with all the health and safety measures in place. We navigated our way through those updates and got reopened. But of course, you know, there wasn't confidence um, in general, within the parents, uh, that 
ready to bring their children back to nursery. So we had a phased reopening. Some came back in May, uh, sorry, June, some some July, and then we had a full reopening from the 1st of September. So I had to furlough some staff and then phase their return in line with the number of children coming back. So obviously the financial impact was, was um, quite considerable. And it still is. Um, we're certainly not out of the woods. Uh, we, we have had a case recently with a member of staff contracting coronavirus, and that meant that we had to close uh, two bubbles within the nursery. You know, as a business owner and a small business owner, you feel a huge weight of responsibility um, for the impact that that has on the families that then have to isolate so whilst we've only had one period of nine days where we had to close two bubbles, and I, I know that fares pretty well against some um, nurseries and schools, it's still, you know, when it happens to you, it's still really, really unsettling. And, um, yeah, I, I, I hope it doesn't happen again, but I'm not under the illusion that it won't. You know, it takes one case to come into the nursery and we then have to close bubbles again. With the daycare at St Martha's Nursery um, business, Sarah, that you had some help from the bounce back loan scheme, is that right? Yes, we did. Um, in actual fact, I think you know we didn't actually need the bounce back loan, but I've applied for it as a cushion uh, because, again, you know, you never know what's what's going to happen, and it only takes one or two more cases to come into the nursery with a few more bubbles having to close for a period of a couple of weeks, and you know, a business goes from a, a thriving business to a to a business is you know a little bit worried. So, I, I think it's been an, an amazing help to actually have that bounce back loan and to have that there as a cushion for us. When we spoke last year, Sarah, you were also at the early stage of establishing a nursery franchise brand, which was obviously put on hold because of the pandemic. Is that something you might still do? Absolutely. In fact, we have done it. Um, We used the period of the club's closing, which was March, April and early May last year, uh, to to really do something positive. It was always my vision to um, encompass the knowledge and experience of nurseries with the knowledge and experience of franchising. Um, So it seemed like the perfect time to actually launch the nursery franchise. So I'm absolutely delighted with, um, with what we've done here. We've worked actually really closely with uh, name Alvi and the team at Notepad, and that he, I met him on the Aston Business um, scheme. Um, actually, also worked with Matt Nation from Personalised Nation uh, to bring the brand to life, and we've launched Canopy Children's Nursery. So um, my mission there was always to disrupt the nursery market. It's a slightly dated market. And I think we've launched Canopy with a fresh approach to um, nurseries and daycare to make it more relevant to today's parents. Many parents are now working from home. They need more flexible daycare. And that's what we aim to um, develop within the Canopy Nursery brand. And we have the first Canopy Nursery opening in London in September 2021. Oh, that's great news. And, And did you need to find funding for that expansion of your business as well? Well, we we actually did um, use the civil funding and we actually used um, external finance, uh, worked really, really well, had the confidence from the Aston programme to work with an external investor. Um, The tutor and the business coach that Aston gave us was super helpful in uh, working out the best way to finance that. And we've actually secured an external investor to help us grow that brand. So, um, I mean, to, to be honest with you, the whole of the, the Aston cohort has been an amazing support network 
um, during last year and during the you know the problems of 2020 and and still and still are. Um, we've all some there's been some winners and losers, and I feel absolutely devastated for people whose whose businesses haven't survived. But I can't tell you how how important that sort of cohort of business owners was during 2020. It sounds like such a busy year, but how did you manage to keep a hold of all those changing elements in the different businesses that you were running? I'd be lying if I say it wasn't a really, really stressful year. I think everyone's had an incredibly stressful year. But, um, you know, it's just about the mindset. I've had this business for 14 or 15 years and uh, you do everything you possibly can to protect it. Um, there's, a, there's a big weight of responsibility when people invest in your brand as they do as franchisees. And I was just really determined that, you know, that investment was going to be protected. Um, you know, and you just navigate through it, don't you? You know, as business owners, we don't know what's around the corner. I think, um, yes, I think the light is at the end of the tunnel now, but there's certainly going to be more twists and turns. The tunnel isn't straight, is it, Steve? I'm lucky to be in an industry that's always going to be in demand. There will always be children and people will always need care for those children. Um, so I'm grateful for that, grateful for the team um, that I work with who are amazing. We actually learned that we had retained our position in the top 100 UK franchises. So that was that was a really nice way to um, finish 2020. And fingers crossed 2021 we can go forward and, and grow the business again. Sarah Beattie, owner and operator of the Funfest franchise chain of children's holiday clubs, also owner and operator of daycare at St Martin's Nursery in Solihull and the emerging Canopy Children's Nurseries. Many thanks for joining Aston Means Business today and the best of luck from us to you for all your ventures and staff. Thank you. Thanks very much. Nice to talk to you. Hopefully still with me is Martin Potts, a senior lecturer in the accounting department here at Aston Business School. Hello again, Martin. Are you still there? Yes, I'm uh, online and uh, hearing you loud and clear, Steve. Great. Martin, you listened to my interview with Sarah Beatty just now. This is a really impressive story, isn't it? Oh, it certainly is. And I think it's a really good illustration of a situation where if one is able to build some uh, literacy in the financial aspects of things, then that builds your financial confidence. The nature of of entrepreneurship is very much this feeling about wanting to to have a certain amount of control and feeling very empowered. And I think what we saw in Sarah's story there, and and I could hear in the tone of her voice, was sort of someone who was who felt confident to make plans, um, and uh, even under the current circumstances, was enjoying the execution of those plans. Yes, I also found it remarkable to hear Sarah's confidence at fully utilising um, things like the furlough grant, um, the Sybils and bounce back loan schemes, and also further funding that she accessed. She seems to just know what to do with all those different forms of finance, doesn't she? Yes, indeed. One thing that we need to remember with any financing arrangement, make sure that we match the finance we're obtaining with the use to which we're going to put it. So therefore, the furlough scheme, of course, has to be, but 
also due to its nature should be allocated to the day-to-day expenses and clearly here it's actually the salaries of uh, staff. But looking at the civils and the bounce back too, they are there for longer term sort of plans, longer term uh, strategies say and longer term investments and it is then appropriate to think of them in those terms as being applied and used in that actual context. We can't have both a civil and a bounce back. And there is that sort of 50K level, isn't there, where one might be considered more preferable to the other. I'm not sure that I'd have either the skills or the confidence to do what Sarah's done using all those different resources at the same time with different businesses. What can small business leaders out there do to quickly know what they can afford and when and what for, Martin? Yeah, I, I mean, I quite agree. It's it's so easy to feel overwhelmed by the many uncertainties that are there when you run a business. I used to talk to my clients about them trying to get to grips with what is useful and information that is uh, manageable as well. And in that wealth of information, you can easily actually get lost. So, What I'd like to suggest, uh, Steve, is actually for the listeners to think in terms of, first of all, maybe identifying what we call their critical success factors. So what is it that is going to help them outperform the competition? And then with that, think about almost trying to develop something of a dashboard with some key performance indicators on it that they can monitor. Now, we don't want this to be a huge amount. We want this to be perhaps half a dozen things that they have a look at. Now, I'm sure many of them are doing some of this already, maybe not, though, in a very well-structured way. So they might be monitoring their uh, revenue, for example, Um, maybe their sales on a weekly or like a monthly basis. They're probably keeping an eye on their cash. What I'd like to suggest that they do is to start to build a a, a dashboard and then think in terms of watching the trend. And if I can offer something to go onto the dashboard, it would possibly be this, something that we call the working capital cycle, or some people might have heard it um, called the cash conversion cycle. There's basically three things that you keep an eye on here. You think about the debtor days, or some might call it the receivables days, how long it's taking for your customers to pay you. You measure how long it takes for your stock or the inventory that you have to, once it's hit your shelf, to then be sold. So what is the delay sort of between it being bought and then being sold? And finally, the creditor days or the payables days. So how long you are taking to pay the suppliers that you have from when the invoice comes in to when you actually pay off the invoice with cash. Now, what you can do is you can put those three together. So, Steve, I thought it might be sort of useful if I do sort of give you a few numbers here and hopefully people can just sort of jot a few down. Thank you. Because let's say that you buy some goods to sell, you sort of monitor how long it takes to sell them, and maybe they hang around for about three weeks. So let's say sort of 21 days, sort of before you actually sell it. When you sell it, you sell it to a customer who you normally give 30 days credit to. So therefore, by adding those two together, from the moment at which they, they sort of come into the business, sit on the shelf, get sold, and then go out to a customer who then subsequently pays, 51 days actually passes by. Now, you haven't got to finance all of those 51 days to meet your other expenses, etc., because, of course, you're probably buying that stock and inventory 
on credit yourself. So let's say that you get 30 days credit on what you buy for your business. Let's take those 30 days away from the 51 we've just mentioned, and we end up with something called the working capital cycle or the working capital gap there, which is 21 days. So what that means is you're adding together the amount of time that your cash is tied up in inventory and then waiting for people to pay you, deducting from that the amount of time leeway you've got to pay your suppliers. You've got three weeks there where cash is not sort of coming in or sort of going out where you need to actually finance that. Now, let's move things on a few weeks. And this is where I was talking about monitoring things and trends, which is really useful. Let's say we move it on. And over the next few weeks, you notice that the inventory hangs around for another week. It, 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 it's hanging around now for 28 days rather than 21. And you notice that your customers are sort of paying you a little bit more slowly. And it now takes maybe a month and a half, say 45 days in order to pay you. That 51 figure, which was the 21 plus the 30, has now changed to 73, which is 28 plus 45. Now, maybe you're still paying your uh, creditors or the suppliers on 30 days. If you take the 30 from the 73 new figure, you've now got 43 days as your working capital gap. That's doubled. And it's doubled through a couple of very tiny elements or they seem it on the face of it, things that you might not necessarily notice. So, Steve, what I'm sort of suggesting is that if maybe the listeners actually think about sort of monitoring and keeping an eye on these three sort of figures, the inventory days, the uh, debtor days and the creditors days, and and they combine them to give this thing that we call the cash conversion cycle or the working capital cycle. They can monitor that on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, and they can look for the trend. And the big message I want to give is that it's the trend you want to keep an eye on. If that trend starts to get a little bit worse, then that's the prompt for action, isn't it? It's the early warning system. For anyone listening who wanted some priorities to take away, what are your top tips for entrepreneurs to have in mind if they're looking at how to change their systems or, or, or looking at how to make sure their, their businesses have the right finance in place? The first thing would be actually decide to be proactive and to monitor something so regularly. And maybe this dashboard actually that I'm talking about can be something that evolves over time. So start to monitor something. It's actually quite habit forming. And once you start to monitor it on like a regular basis, you'll see some figures popping in that you start to have a better grasp for. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I would create, if you possibly can, a self-desire to anticipate problems rather than just be prepared to react to them. And actually, so listening to Sarah talking there, um, she was feeling empowered by the action she was taking. And then also a final thing coming back to what we started to talk about right at the beginning was think about using funding in an appropriate way. Match the type of the source to the type of the use. Don't just think you've got a lump of money that you can use. Think carefully about what's the most appropriate use for it, given where it's come from. Yes, it was quite interesting, wasn't it, that Sarah had one form of the finance almost as a cushion, she said, just in case. And that's where that planning comes into mind, isn't it? 
Indeed it does. And if you think that Sarah is trying to manage two or three businesses there, you know, she is making sure she's being very active about what she is actually monitoring, what she's thinking about, and also being very careful about using the sources of finance in an appropriate way in each case. So um, very, very impressive. Martin Potts, Senior Lecturer in the Accounting Department here at Aston Business School. Many thanks for joining us today and for explaining how to approach cash management through the working capital cycle. Well, thank you, Steve. And uh, I wish everybody listening all the very best in these uh, in these really tough times. Thanks also to Sarah Beattie of FunFest and her associated businesses. We'll be back soon with another case study on how SMEs are developing and even growing during the pandemic with more crucial analysis and advice from academics and experts here at Aston. Aston means business. SMEs building resilience to COVID-19 challenges. Thanks for listening.